Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back when I was doing my episodes on Seamus Heaney and came to the end of his career and the end of his life, and I was remarking about how Heaney sort of slipped in my estimation a bit as I was doing my episodes in review of him. Uh, as an example of that, I used a remark he made about his translation of Beowulf. It was something along the lines of that he wouldn't have Beowulf would not have been the first thing he would have chosen to translate, and that he only did it, he only chose to do it because he wasn't entirely attached to it, so that he would be able to bring a sort of distance and a discipline to it uh, that he wouldn't have been able to bring, apparently, to something that he felt really enthused uh, or emotionally attached to. And... I realized um, after that, after saying that, that, that I am sort of guilty of that as well, or that really it's not a matter of being guilty of it at all. It's just a matter of where inspiration comes from. And sometimes it does come from a subject that you otherwise aren't really interested in. I realized that of the big Renaissance artists, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, the person that I am easily more attached to uh, emotionally and creatively and all the rest is uh, Michelangelo. The idea of him as he describes himself, or I think uh, as Leonardo describes Michelangelo or Leonardo describes sculptors in general, uh, when he's trying to say that painting is a better form of art than sculpture, one of the points he makes is that uh, when a sculptor has done with his work at the end of the day, he looks like a baker covered in flour. Uh, there's just so much physicality to the work that Leonardo, I suppose, thought was uh, beneath his labor. But I love to think of Michelangelo covered in the powder of marble at the end of the day. I love to think of him, as the stories go, uh, not being content with having blocks of marble delivered to him, but of being so uh, so picky uh, in what he was given to work with that he would go down to the, uh, to the uh, marble quarry sites himself to choose the marble and even to assist in their um, to assist in, in their retrieval and their uh, delivery. Uh, to his workshop in Florence uh, or in Rome. And indeed, if anyone is interested in the story, uh, just go and find a biography of Michelangelo and you will discover just how difficult uh, a job it was to 
to quarry the marble and have it delivered without it breaking. And there is also uh, the images of Michelangelo just living with his sculptures uh, for as long as he could before he would give them up. There's an idea of his statue of Moses being so huge that there's the image of him, and I can't remember if it's one that came from a book or an eyewitness or if it's just something that appeared in my mind, that his sculpture of Moses is so large that you have the image of Michelangelo almost crawling over this huge body and uh, sculpting it. And then by the end of his life, when he didn't need to make any money uh, and didn't need to solidify his reputation anymore, there's just the image of him living with the pietas that he was working on towards the end of his life and that he never saw the need to finish and that perhaps were never meant, that he was never meant to finish at all. He was just living with these sculpted bodies and every now and then he would walk around them, he would make a circle around them and make a change here and there, or he would just be sitting around and looking at them. Um, and that's just something that, that has always felt close uh, to me, close to my heart. The idea of this old man, not the public man, not the young man who did uh, the Pieta of his uh, 20s, the one that everybody knows, or the David, um, or even the grumpy Michelangelo who was forced, in a way, to uh, paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling, but the old man that nobody comes to visit anymore who is just uh, living with these unfinished bodies that he is sculpting, and, and that is the piece of his old age. And I realized, uh, considering all of that, that I have written very little about Michelangelo, uh, and that actually doing this podcast now and realizing this might make me do more about him, because I've written an eight-page poem. It feels much longer than that because of the time it took to write it. I've written a, a long poem about Leonardo da Vinci and his uh, his anatomical drawings and the time he spent dissecting bodies so that he could do these anatomical drawings. I've spent a lot more time in the preparation of that poem with Leonardo da Vinci, who in general I don't really care about nearly as much. But the the one exception to that is a small poem I wrote a few years ago that is just called Unfinished Michelangelo. And on the one hand, it is about those unfinished pietas that he did towards the end of his life. And on the one hand, it is also about, uh, in Howard Hibbard, his biography of Michelangelo, he says that, um, like Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo always seems to have been more attracted by a new challenge or idea than by actually finishing that idea. Uh, he, note, he notes that uh, one of Michelangelo's earliest works is unfinished, and of course there's a great deal of Leonardo that is unfinished. And in many ways the, the great gift that Leonardo left us, and it's a gift that people didn't realize for many years, many decades, are his notebooks, the things that he left unfinished. Uh, since back in the day, in the Renaissance, the idea of something being unfinished meant that uh, 
th there wasn't an idea of art being unfinished. You wouldn't show something that was unfinished. But uh, Michelangelo and Leonardo both left us things that we that that back then would have been considered unfinished. But now, even if we call them unfinished, they still feel perhaps in a way more real than the things that they did complete in their lifetimes. And you will excuse the beeping of this truck that is uh, uh, delivering something to the grocery store behind me. I wonder if that's going to get picked up here. Um, so that, uh, but, but the main thing that Unfinished Michelangelo is about are four, uh, four statues that he did called the Academia Slaves. The, uh, the Florentine slaves, and the names that are given to them, at least in this book by uh, William Wallace, are the blockhead slave, the young slave, the bearded slave, and the awakening slave. And I won't go into why they are unfinished. Uh, there were a lot of commissions that Michelangelo started, and for one reason or another, he uh, never finished, uh, either because the person who... Uh, uh, commissioned them, died, or changed their mind, or whatever it is. But what we have now, uh, if you go and look, and I'll actually put a link here to the Wikipedia page about this. If you go and look for these images, they are bodies that look like they are rising out or are caught in the marble. Or uh, in one case, it looks like it's a head that has never been carved, being crushed by the block, the uncarved block above it. Um, and on the one hand, these, these are illustrations of what either Giorgio Vasari noticed or what Michelangelo actually told him, that his process felt not like sculpting something uh, by a plan, but of finding a body within the marble. On one hand, it's that. But it's also just images uh, of immense power and almost, I don't know, I'm looking at them now, also like a, a dreamlike quality to them. It's hard to imagine that these are bodies in stone, that these are still, the whole thing is just stone. And William Wallace gives uh, an explanation of why, as to why these uh, academia, these Florentine slaves, look the way they do and why they have been passed down to us in their current form. And that is because uh, there were uh, earlier, uh, earlier sculptures that Michelangelo did, and it was only uh, after he began working on them that, that imperfections were noticed in the marble. And so when he came, and so that he had to carve around them or make do with what he could with the imperfections. So that when he came to the Academia slaves, he made sure that the blocks he chose were much larger than uh, the blocks were much larger than, than the sculptures would ever actually be in their finished state. But since they never came to a finished state, what we have are huge blocks with bodies emerging from them. And uh, one last thing is that, uh, let's see, is that uh, William Wallace makes the note that some of the poses on these slaves, some of the poses in these sculptures, are such that it is hard to understand how, if Michelangelo did finish them, the bodies 
would have stood on their own anyway. They're these odd poses. If you look through a book of uh, of uh, of Michelangelo's work on the Sistine Chapel, many of them are just in these amazing contorted poses that would be impossible to maintain in real life. So that Michelangelo's main purpose seems sometimes not to have been uh, just the the painting of something beautiful or accurate, but just uh, an inquiry of his own mind into the contortions or the poses or the ways that a human body can be uh, flexed or made to move. And that's an interesting thing, too, that he is not interested in what we would call art, necessarily. He is just in love with the body and is trying to express his love for the body as best he can. And so all of that, again, uh, um, when I read one of my own poems here, I do want to make a lot of it to be about how the poem is written. So all of those things and more go into a poem like this. And I should say, too, that when I began writing poetry in earnest again back in 2013 or so, for a long time I was trying to keep with my version of uh, something like uh, a regular meter or a regular line. And when I came to write this poem, this was one of the first ones, I'm pretty sure, that would not maintain or cohere itself or stick within the regularity of that line. And this is the f one of the very first ones I wrote that uh, I allowed to just be completely free verse. And this is called Unfinished Michelangelo. The impossible bodies of apostles, messiahs, and slaves. Statues that couldn't have stood had he finished them. Faces half buried in membranes of marble that threatened to swallow and take them back. Bodies climbing without hands or feet or legs out of the mineral morass in the great struggle for birth. A nearly headless body, torso only, drowning in stone and digging itself from the grave, its maker showing our true form, unfinished and flowing and perpetually protean, never an end and only beatific struggle. Or just the notebook pages of body parts, sketches, some beautiful killing floor of floating limbs, practice shoulders or torsos of livid musculature, legs and poses and twisting masses of flesh, stomach and waist and a turned back, dark with ink and detail, slowly fading above and below into what was uninteresting, rhythms of movement and skin overbrimming the brain of this Dante of stone. Or just an unfinished Christ from late in life, Mary on some pedestal trying to pull her limp son straight, their faces still lacerated by the chisel, but gone over and over with love, in some approximation of old Bonarati's own age, broken body of ailments and groans, that still went tearing at this pieta until the end, an act of devotion in his lonely exhaustion, the prayer of the undone more profound than the most polished skin and bone.
It was Stonecutter's wife, it was the Stonecutter's wife who nursed him, not his mother, giving him the hammer and chisel along with her breast, and the love for the quarries far from Florence and Rome, months of youth wrestling marble from the mountains, only to dig a new body free in a blizzard of chips and dust, ninety years of unavoidable labor in stone, perhaps with a few friends, but never at ease, perhaps with a gang of help, but ever the one. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to humanvoiceswakeus, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.